listening to the international hit show, The Baby Names Podcast. And here are your hosts, the Moss Sisters. I'm Jennifer Moss. And I'm Mallory Moss. And we're the founders of babynames.com. And we're sisters too. Yes, we are. And our first segment is always interesting names we found since the last episode. And there's certainly a celebrity baby name that is interesting, but I'll mm. save that for our celebrity news segment. So I want to talk about a TikToker who got some feedback because she named her baby Eleven. And as you know, that's a name from the Stranger Things series, only because the child in the series was considered an experimental subject. So she was given a number. And there's a long history of people being referred to as numbers, most of them pretty terrible. Now, you're referred to a number when the organization in charge wants you to think of yourself as part of a unit, like in the military, or to minimize your humanness and individuality. So in prison, you're referred to as inmate number, and most egregiously, Numbers were assigned and used instead of names in Nazi concentration camps to dehumanize those who were imprisoned. These numbers were tattooed on their forearms. So taking all that into account, I would advise against giving a number to your baby as a baby name. Now, 11 has that internal V sound, which is becoming very popular due to Oliver, Olivia, Maverick, etc., and I have a friend who has a new grandbaby named Carver, which I think is kind of cute if its last name wasn't a reference to a fish. I'm not going to say what it is. But because of the history of numbers as names, I say stay away from 7 and 11. Okay. Well, you are definitely feeling that no towards 7 and 11. I don't see any reason for the numbers as names thing. And I hope that when we do discuss the big celebrity baby news this week, that people don't start doing what he's doing as well. So <laughs> okay. we're just going to say that quickly. Yep. We'll get on to it later. Yep. The name I have picked this week is Olena. Mm. And it is a beautiful and strong name. I learned of it because it is the name of the First Lady of Ukraine. The name Olena is indeed Ukrainian, and it is a variation of Helen, meaning light or shining light. I think both Olena and Helen are beautiful names, and we don't hear about many baby Helens anymore. I know. I love that name. And, you know, in the last 20 years, Helen has hovered in the 350s, 450s, roughly, according to the Social Security Administration name popularity list. So I'm mm. I'm wondering what we're going to see happen with Helen as the next 20 years go on. And then for a boy, of course, there's that X sound that's very popular right mm -hmm. now. And I was thinking, what about Hickson? H-I-X-S-O-N. Are you asking me? Are you asking the audience? You don't like the name Hickson? Yes, I'm making it up. I'm making you up are? the name Hickson. I think I've seen it before. Oh, what about Huxon? I've never seen Huxon. H-U-X-S-O-N. Interesting. I don't know. I think both those could become more popular. I see that. Okay. So that's all I got. All I got. So the topic of this episode for Women's History Month 
is names and women's rights. We'll be covering first names, surnames, nicknames, and prefixes. But first, I'd like to start with the practice of women taking their husband's surname in the contract of marriage. If you haven't done so, listen to our apps about occupational surnames as first names in the history of English names. In a nutshell, surnames weren't consistent in Western culture until the Norman Conquest in the 11th century. However, the English common law of the wife taking the husband's surname began around the 9th century with something called the Doctrine of Coverture. Now, the Doctrine of Coverture said once a woman is married, she, quote, becomes one entity with her husband. Basically, they become him. So the husband was then in charge of all her property, her legal rights, and decisions. It literally says, quote, the very being or legal existence of the woman is suspended during the marriage, unquote. The very being. And because a woman was one with their husband and considered a non-entity, she and all children took the husband's surname. Mm -hmm. But really, the woman never had her own name. I mean, when she was born, she was given her father's surname and then changed to her husband's when she got married. Now, as we said in previous shows, in upper-class society, if both family, husband and wives, were of importance, the names were identified with their class and their high station, then often the wife would change her middle name to her original surname, like Mallory Moss Katz. Then those in the middle class kind of followed that trend because, well, they wanted to seem cool and wealthy as well. But that's not done much anymore, though. But in the mid-1800s, the United States passed the Married Woman's Property Act in several U.S. states where married women were allowed individual legal status for purposes of signing contracts, going into business, and buying property. Because a woman was then allowed to have a career on her own and make a name for herself, more were exercising the right to keep their original surnames. But this is crazy. It wasn't until the 1970s that the U.S. Supreme Court struck down a Tennessee law that required a woman to take the last name of her husband if she wanted to register to vote. This was at the time of the rise of the women's movement, late 60s, early 70s, the rise of the ERA, and Ms. Magazine. We'll talk about that a little later. It became an equality issue to keep your birth name, even though it was still patriarchal because it was your father's. But starting in the 1980s, couples started to hyphenate their surnames to show that both were equal. However, that practice went quickly out of style after about a decade because it was a hassle on forms and then subsequently computer software that didn't give you that much space. And then what are the kids going to do when they get married? Are they going to have double hyphenated names? Four? You can see how that would quickly become unmanageable. Yeah, and in hetero marriages, about 20% of American women now choose to keep their original birth surname. And that's actually lower than in the 1970s. In gay marriages, it's less likely that one partner will take another's surname outright. Most often, both partners will either keep their surnames, hyphenate, or combine the two surnames into a new name, like a couple name. Now, there's another phenomenon in women's names, primarily in the 19th and early 20th century, when women became so emboldened as to start having careers traditionally held by men. 
Mm-hmm. And that is using an alternative or pen name that was identifiably male. Some of the most notable were authors like George Sand, one of the most popular authors in Europe in the 1800s. Her original name was Amantine Lucille Aurore Dupin. George Eliot, English novelist in the Victorian era, original name Marianne Evans. Andre Norton, a sci-fi author whose original name was Alice Mary Norton. Mary Shelley, who wrote the hit novel Frankenstein, had to publish it anonymously in 1818 because she was a woman. The public and press assumed that her husband, writer Percy Shelley, was the author since the book was published with his preface and dedicated to his political hero, William Godwin. It wasn't until 1821 on the second edition when she insisted her name be printed on the book as the author. I saw a good miniseries about that. Mm. That was good. And this is crazy, and I didn't know this at all until I did the research for this episode, but all three of the Bronte sisters had male pen names. Charlotte was Currer, Anne was Acton, and Emily was Ellis, and they all used the surname Bell. Now, when they were asked about it, Charlotte explained, We did not like to declare ourselves women, because without at the time suspecting that our mode of writing and thinking was not what is called feminine, we had a vague impression that authoresses are liable to be looked on with prejudice. Authoresses. I like that. Yes. And more recently, J.K. Rowling didn't exactly adopt a male pen name, but she did intentionally use her initials to camouflage her gender because she wanted to reach a male young adult audience. Now, in job searches, studies have shown that female names will still get less interviews than male names with the same credentials and experience. Not much, but about 2% less. There's a great article about an applicant named Kim, male, who started putting Mr. in front of his name and his requests for interviews increased tremendously. Mm. There's also an article about an executive named Erin McKelvey who went into the tech industry in the mid-1990s. She was getting zero response to her resume until a friend told her to gender neutralize her name. Now, her friend Alexandra had shortened her own name to Alex on her resume and got a much better response. So Erin changed her name to Mac, (laughs) M-A-C-K, hey Mac, and it was short for her last name, McKelvey. After that, she got a 70% response rate. Crazy. We'll link to both of these articles in the show notes. Speaking of Mr. and prefixes, let's talk about the prefix Ms. Prior to the 1970s, a woman used either Miss or Mrs., a prefix that was based on her marital status. Right. Because, of course, a woman's entire self-identity was determined by her marital status, right? Mm -hmm. If you were Miss and you were older, you were a spinster and something was wrong with you. If you were previously married, widowed, or divorced, you kept that Mrs. because it had social currency. It meant you were worthy of a man coupling with you. But men had no such designation. Mm -hmm. Their prefixes had to do with occupation. Mr. Dr. Reverend the Honorable Sir, if you were knighted, officer, deputy, nothing to do with marriage. So that wasn't fair. 
Until 1961, when feminist writer and civil rights advocate Sheila Michaels began the campaign for the prefix Ms. She was fascinated as it was a term for a woman who did not belong to a man in any way. Michaels had first seen Ms. on an address label on a magazine to her roommate and initially thought it was a typo. But the prefix actually dates back to the 17th century Britain as a short form of mistress. So it dropped out of style, then came back to signify a woman whose marital status is none of your business. Nanya. <laughs> Sheila was friends with women's rights activist Gloria Steinem, who joined the campaign to make Ms. a legally recognized prefix and decided to make it the title of her new feminist magazine, which launched in 1972. Shortly afterwards, a New York congresswoman introduced legislation that said women did not have to disclose their marital status on federal forms, and eventually Ms. was used as a legal prefix nationally in the U.S. Yay! Now, prior to the women's movement, a woman was referred to as Mrs. Her Husband's Name. I remember even mom being addressed as Mrs. Donald Moss prior to her joining the women's movement. Then she said, nah. -uh. <laughs> and invitations were always addressed as Mr. and Mrs. Husband's Name. In fact, Miranda, my daughter, and I were having this very discussion last week, and then she got an invitation just yesterday addressed like that, even today. Now, I was watching The Gilded Age on HBO all about New York society around the 1900s and class, and when a woman's name was mentioned, like Eleanor Hansen, they always say, oh, do you mean Mrs. Robert Hansen? Oh, yes, she can be invited to the ball. Like, the status and wealth of a woman's name was totally dependent on her husband's name. Thankfully, now we can build status and wealth under our own names. Speaking of the women's movement, let's talk about the effect it had on baby naming, specifically when gender-neutral names started to trend and girls were also being given traditionally male names. As you might have guessed, both of those began in the early 70s with the rise of the women's movement and equal rights. Right. Jordan, for example, as a boy's name, has been on the U.S. charts since the year 1900, but for girls, it debuted in 1978. Avery is similar. It had been on the charts since 1900 for boys, but for girls, only since 1989. Now, Marion, Ashley, Whitney, Courtney, Allison, Vivian, and Beverly all used to be primarily male names and now are most identified with women. In fact, the male Allison dropped out of the U.S. birth charts in 1946, the exact same year it first appeared on the girls' side. Isn't that interesting? By the way, I have a male friend, Allison, about my age, who actually named his son Allison, too. Hmm. So why then doesn't it go the other way? Why don't historically female names cross over to the male side? This is due to the gender bias that females are lesser humans than males. Parents have a big fear that boys will get teased if they have a girl's name, but much less of a concern giving a girl a traditionally male name. Mm-hmm. The terms throw like a girl or you're a sissy or don't cry like a girl all infer that boys having feminine traits are wrong, disgusting, and inferior. But girls having, and I'm putting these in air quotes, male traits, like strength and power and intelligence, well, that's okay and socially acceptable. Exactly. Exactly. 
Many females that were given traditionally male names, like actress Michael Learned, indicated that their parents had the name picked out long before they were born, or that they only had a boy's name picked out, or didn't expect a girl. So what the hell, let's just name her Michael. Now, my college roommate Archie's birth certificate name is Marjorie, but her parents wanted her to be called Archie no matter what gender she was. So for her whole life, she's been referred to as Archie. And I bet if she were born today, she would have just been given the name Archie. No big deal. I think Archie is cute for a girl. I bet it'll cross over. I hope so. I really like Archie for a girl. Now, as we're talking about names and gender, there are some interesting results that we've seen in our transgender naming survey. We have a previous episode on that, which is a great one, too. So listen to that one after this one, if you haven't already. Yes, cue up that one after this. In this survey, 66% of those who identified as female said it was somewhat to very important that their new name was obviously gendered. But for those who identified as male, 70% said it was somewhat to very important that their new name was obviously gendered. So make of that what you will, but the results show that it's slightly more important for trans males to have an obviously gendered name than trans females. Now, the last thing I want to address is diminutive and feminized names. And I want to include this because I bring it up so often in our podcast as something not to do to babies assigned female at birth. So let's break it down. Historically, adding a letter or a set of letters like A or Y or E-T-T-E in French vernacular or Ella in the Latin languages served to feminize a name. Examples would be like Nicholas or Nicolette, which became Nicole, Don became Donna, Charles, Charlotte, George, Georgia or Georgette, Michael, Michaela, Stephen, Stephanie, etc. You get the idea. As we said in the Names We Hate episode, parents are now using a Y substitute, or E-I-G-H, instead of E-E to feminize a name, like Jordan, J-O-R-D-Y-N, Emerson, S-Y-N, Riley, E-I-G-H, Cameron with a Y, Charlie, <laughs> Charlie. I can't. I don't even know how to say that. C H A R L E I G H. I guess that's yeah. Charlie. Even Sailor. S A Y L O R. Somehow that Y indicates it's more feminine. I'm not a fan, but it's not really a hate situation. I just think it's overdone. Agreed. But what I do have an issue with is diminutive names are what mom used to call cutesy names. And those are names that are historically used for animals, children, or to indicate that the girl is small, petite, or delicate. I think that can have an adverse effect on a child's psychology and well-being, not to mention what if she grows up and she is not small or petite. So one form of this is any name that is a nickname and or has a short form with an IE or Y like Billy, Charlie, Susie, Cece, or Jenny, always give the child the option of having an adult formal name. This doesn't include formal names ending in the EE sound like Ashley or Emily as those are not child nickname versions of a name. In fact, there was a recent article about a five-year-old who begged her parents to change her name from Charlie to Charlotte. 
five. She said, quote, Charlotte makes me feel strong. Charlotte makes me feel independent. Charlotte makes me feel pretty. Charlotte makes me feel creative. And Charlotte makes me feel loved. Oh, I guess she didn't like Charlie. (laughs) But what about the name I love, Birdie? Why do you think that's so egregious? I mean, I know it's because you've told me, but just in case someone is listening for the first time. I think it's unfair to give girls names that are childlike or baby animals referring to something small, like I said. We're talking birdie, bunny, kitty, which is really all baby speak, in addition to referring to baby animals. Pixie, Dolly, Baby. Save those for nicknames if you want so they can shed those horrible names if and when they want to. Now, one such name, not much used anymore, but back in the day, was Dottie a nickname for Dorothy. And it's also a dictionary word meaning flaky, so it's doubly horrible. And you've talked about the expectation or characteristic names, which we do not recommend. Names infused with an expectation, like chastity, honor, heaven. And Nevea. <laughs> yeah. Treasure, princess, halo, stormy, dream, and even hope and faith to some extent. Women have enough of a hard time being taken seriously in many occupations. I mean, imagine a woman at the head of the boardroom saying, welcome to the meeting. I'm CEO, treasure princess. <laughs> Who's not going to laugh? Well, if I didn't laugh out loud, I'd surely bite my tongue. (laughs) Those names can put a woman at a huge disadvantage in business. Now, as we said in our episode, does a name equal success? You make your name, not the other way around. But why give your daughter another disadvantage to overcome? It's also more likely a woman will use her diminutive nickname, Jenny, for example, as an adult rather than men using that in formal situations like work. So you'll see women go by Jenny or Vicky more often than men going by Jimmy or Chuck on resumes and bios. Now, as our culture becomes more and more informal, I believe that will slowly change. And lastly, something I think is just interesting is that when naming a child after a parent, it's more likely a son will be named after a father than a daughter named after a mother. In fact, in the 19th century, matronymics, as it's called, or a daughter named after the mother, was actually perceived as the mark of a girl born out of wedlock Mm. whose father was unknown or had disowned the child. Terrible. It's a patriarchal world, I tell you. Now, we could go on and on, but we'd be here forever. But think on these things as we continue our way through naming our daughters in the 21st century. And if you're expecting a girl, instead of using Birdie, maybe use Raven. Yeah. Instead of Pixie, use Persephone. Instead of Princess, use Diana. There are so many strong names or names without a diminutive association. You don't have to rely on those antiquated trends. Thanks for staying with us this far. And after the short break, we'll be back with Celebrity Baby News. And boy, are we going to dish. And now it's time for Celebrity Baby News. 
Michael Sarah, star of Superbad and several other comedies, like one of my faves, Juno, was outed by Amy Schumer, saying that he is a new dad. Apparently, Michael and his partner Nadine welcomed a baby boy approximately six months ago. That's all we know, and we can thank Amy Schumer for saying it during an interview, or we may never have known. Nadine? That's Mm -hmm. not the name of a person in her 30s. That's interesting. Okay. Well, Sophie Turner and Joe Jonas appear to be getting ready for baby number two. Although the couple remains silent, a source reported by In Touch Weekly confirmed that Sophie is pregnant and almost halfway through her pregnancy. Their first child was daughter Willa, born in July of 2020. Actress Jennifer Lawrence has reportedly welcomed her first child. Jennifer and her husband, art dealer Cook Maroney, reportedly gave birth to their first child in L.A. County, according to public records. No other information about their child is known, including name, gender, or birth date. We'll bring you information as soon as we get it, we promise. Is it bad that I really want it to be Katniss or PETA? I really hope it's not. And yes, that is really bad. <laughs> L.A. Rams player Odell Beckham Jr. has announced the arrival of his first child, the wide receiver whose team won Super Bowl 56. <laughs> you booger. <laughs> she put LV1. <laughs> I got it, though. Uh, okay, so who won Super Bowl 56 earlier this month welcomed his little one with partner Lauren Wood on February 17th. There, you did it again. February. <laughs> February. They named him Zyden, Z-Y-D-N. Now, another Rams champ, Van Jefferson, had the night of his life earlier this month on February 13th. I can only say it if I have a British accent. It makes absolutely no sense. Because people say February without the first R, and that trips me up okay so on february 13th this team won the super bowl and his wife samaria gave birth to their second child champ curtis jefferson Hmm. and a champ he was Uh, all right so we cut this a little short this month because we wanted to address this last story address this last story a bit in depth (laughs) so of course we've all been excited at the gift that keeps on giving to baby names and that is elon musk and partner grimes welcome to baby girl last december (laughs) and kept it a secret until this month's issue of vanity fair and they named her exa exa dark like it sounds and then sidereal S-I-D-E-R-A-E, push together L. Okay, push together. <laughs> like the Caesar. <laughs> like Caesar. But she will go by the nickname Y. Right. Why she goes by Y when her name is Exa, I don't get. Because the boy, X-A-E-12, bleh, whatever, goes by X. So they're going to be X and Y. Stupid. I wonder if the next baby is going to be Z, probably. Mm-hmm. All right. So exa is a reference to supercomputing, a term called exaflops. Do you know what that means, Jennifer? It's a supercomputing term. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Got it. (laughs) Sounds like we both know that. Grimes said that dark represents the unknown and that dark matter is the beautiful mystery of our universe. Okay. 
And then sidereal is apparently a more elven spelling of sidereal, which she states means the true time of the universe, star time, deep space time, not our relative earth time. She also relates that name to her favorite Lord of the Rings character, Galadriel, who chooses to abdicate the ring. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So whereas I never thought I would practice algebra as an adult, (laughs) but... Y follows X, who was born two years ago. X equals XAEA minus 12. <laughs> At the time, Grimes went into detail about her child's name, sharing that X, the unknown variable, cross swords. AE, my elven spelling of I, love or artificial intelligence. And A12 is a precursor to SR-17, our favorite aircraft. No weapons, no defenses, just speed. Great in battle, but non-violent. And then A is for Archangel, my favorite song. Jen, wasn't there some legal ruling about that crazy name? Well, yeah, they couldn't use one, two, the numerals in the name, so they changed it to XII, which is the Roman numeral. Exactly. Because they're actually alphabetical characters. So what do you think about Dark City RL? Ridiculous. <laughs> I think that they want publicity, and they're using their children as a joke and to get publicity. Now... I think then they created all this mythology around the names to make them sound like they were really thought out. But, you know, people do that when they're trying to con you as they add a lot of backstory and detail. And I I think that's what's going on here. You think they're just trying to con us? Con us into thinking these are normal names. Oh, okay. And that it won't affect their children. Now, of course, their children are going to be born into a different echelon than the rest of us. They probably won't go to... Public school. They're going to be in private schools or being homeschooled or tutored. So I guess you don't have to really worry about that. And, you know, maybe by the time they're in elementary school, all the other kids will think it's cool. Who knows? Who knows? Well, they'll be in their flying car and jetpacks. So... (laughs) Okay. And now it's time for letters from our listeners. And we're only going to do one because there's a lot to unpack here. (laughs) Go ahead. Dear baby names, how is it possible that you have a meaning for Sergio as servant? Are you crazy? That is the dumbest definition anyone could have for a name. It is like I lying, or I think it's supposed to be saying Max is for fart. Or Elizabeth for means butt crack. <laughs> but could we do a better job? Please, could... Do- <laughs> I, this is hard to read. Please, could to do a better job? We have now the Ferrari Sergio. Please stop being stupid if we will have no choice but to sue you. This email contains private and confidential information. Unauthorized use of private and confidential information is prohibited. I don't even know what to say about that. (laughs) Well, okay. The Ferrari Sergio is a car. So I think what this person is saying, who's probably named Sergio, I would venture to guess, is that now that this brand is up here, how dare you have the meaning as servant? But number one, you know, uh, surprise everybody, we don't make up the meanings of names. It's called etymology. And it's the history of names and words. 
Now, what I did was I did a little more digging on the name Sergio. And indeed, it is an occupational name, meaning servant. Now, it comes from a Roman family name from the Latin root servus, S-E-R-V-U-S. Or it could also come from the Latin serica, S-A-R-I-C-A, which was a cloth of wool mixed with silk or linen. And that would be an occupational name as well. So either of these would indicate the father's occupation. But because it's not S-A-R and it's S-E-R, it most likely comes from service. Now, we can't help that it means servant. I mean, Kennedy means ugly head. You know, like we don't make these up. So if this is your name... And or your baby's name, I'm sorry, you should have done your research before you gave your babies that name. Yeah. But I'm sorry. I'm sorry because your name is probably Sergio and you are offended. And we don't mean to offend at all. But we do have to report the truthful information. And I would like to just say that Max does not mean fart and Elizabeth does not mean butt crack. <laughs> it does not. Thankfully, because we would get a lot of lawsuits (laughs) from Elizabeth and Max's if that was the case. Exactly. That's it, you guys. We have a new TikTok channel, so visit us at babynames.com with a D-O-T spelled out. We have a lot of fun name content on that particular channel. We're also on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So join us. Be our friend and we'll interact with you there or on our Facebook group, The Baby Names Podcast. All right. Well, goodbye, everybody. We love you. Bye. Bye.